Welcome to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgem. And I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. On each episode of The Pillars, we find a brief resilience topic so you can practically fix any potential roadblocks you encounter and finish a better wingman, airman, and leader. So let's dive in. What's today's topic? So today we're continuing our previous discussion on effective communication, and this is part two, whereas previously we focused on communication in our personal relationships, so spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other. Now, today, we're going to be talking about effective communication in the workplace, and I think this is a particularly uh, good topic to discuss because just in you know my dealings with people from various units, you know, not just in uh, ISR where we work, a lot of people have complaints about how they interact with with their supervisors or even with their peers. And so I think today we can talk about how to manage uh, some of those difficult conversations that may come up or even conflict that happens in the workplace. Well, I think it's important to recognize when that conflict happens, it's not just the excuse of, well, I have a poor supervisor or I have a bad airman working for me. Both people have a role to play in that conflict. And both people have responsibility. Correct. So so it's easy to externalize the, the blame and say, oh, well, it's because of the other person. You know, I have, I have no role in this. And even if you feel like you're in the right, uh, there is a, a part of that communication that's breaking down uh, because of what you're doing or not doing. So even if there is some, some significant issue uh, between the two people, it takes both of them to actually resolve it. I totally agree. And what's funny are the principles that we talked about in relationships really do work in the workplace as well. Absolutely. So why don't we start looking at it from maybe the supervisor perspective, and then we'll move to the airman perspective. Sounds good. So as a supervisor, they come in, they have conflict. They're dealing with someone who's maybe notoriously late or somebody who is just not following the rules. How do they usually respond? Well, I, I would say that there's not necessarily conflict, but there's the potential for conflict. So in any one of these situations, you have uh, maybe like a discrepancy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, let's choose some uh, more innocuous words. Got it. Uh, so there, there's a discrepancy and there's something that needs to be addressed. Now, whether it devolves into conflict, that depends on how the supervisor and the supervisee choose to address that that issue. So um, like in that that situation, let's say um, you've got somebody who came in late and you as a supervisor now have to address that. What would be an unhelpful way to go about it? Well, I think to go right into accusatory and say, well, you're late, you're wrong without gathering any additional information. Okay. Because we never know what could have happened. There could have been a rainstorm, could have been an accident, a delay at the CDC, Mm -hmm. a sick spouse or loved one. There are a number of factors that could come into play, especially if it's a first time event. Sure. And when we jump to conclusions like that and say, oh, well, it's because this person is lazy. Maybe they have a history of being late or or difficulty uh, getting going in the morning. Uh, it's easy to immediately cast blame based on those assumptions. And then now all of a sudden we have a, a misunderstanding that can uh, eventually become a significant conflict. So in this case, the first approach would be to clarify what's going on and get some more information before jumping to conclusions. As we Absolutely. Said. So as the supervisor, you could uh, address the, the supervisee and say, hey, I noticed you showed up 15 minutes late this morning. What's, what's going on today? something like that. And you're just, you're not uh, accusing, you're not trying to put them on the defensive. You're genuinely asking what's going on. What what was the the cause for you being late today? And it may be a perfectly good reason. And I think this next thing you could go to, or one of the next things is that impact to the unit. Hmm. So let's say it is someone who there's no real great reason for them to be late, but they're late constantly. Of course, there's corrective action. There's there for a reason. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that corrective action doesn't, it just goes to that accusatory. It doesn't just say, what is the impact to the unit? You're a valuable 
person. When you come here, if you're not here on time, it's impacting our mission. It's impacting our unit. We care for you. You're somebody part of our unit family. There's more to that. And sometimes that message is dropped and lost, and it puts the person almost backed into a corner immediately instead of giving an opportunity to move forward and to kind of come out of it. Right, because what's the the real issue at play here? I would say that uh, by conveying it in the way that you just described, the supervisor is uh, emphasizing that individual's importance to the unit and importance to the mission, not their uh, responsibility to the supervisor themselves. Correct. And that's the the larger picture. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that um, as big A airmen, that mm-hmm. we do have a responsibility to, to our units, to our wings, to the larger Air Force as a whole. And you know the things that we do and, and sometimes don't do can have an impact on that level, both positive and negative. And, and I, I think it's good to always try to refocus on uh, what is that impact and, and what are some things I can do to make an impact in the right way? So we talked about the jumping to conclusions. We talked about and clarifying the situation. Um, but in this situation, you know, we've given some suggestions of the impact to the unit. What are some other things supervisors might look for in resolving a potential issue? Well, I, I know I see you got some notes oh. there in front of you. Uh, I know you're going to talk about uh, ways that you can promote trust and uh, ways that you can effectively lead through your words and your actions. Mm-hmm. What, what were some recommendations you had for supervisors? So this comes from leading at the speed of trust. And some folks may wonder, well, why is the chaplain talking about trust? Well, here's your gee whiz factoid for the day. The word trust originates in the Greek, and the Greek word is called pistis. For some reason, people think that's <laughs> funny, but it is. That's the actual word. As so, involuntary laugh it, just yeah, now. Just had to. So. It, <laughs> So that Greek word pistis comes to a meaning three words in today's vernacular, faith, trust, or belief. Same word, same meaning. And so what happens when we're building trust, we're actually building faith in another person. We have faith in another person in our organization and ultimately in ourselves. We're trusting them. We're trusting ourselves. There's this element of faith. So Covey in Leading at the Speed of Trust in the book, great book, by the way, says that there are four cores to credibility. And this goes to how to resolve conflict. The first one they say is first you need to build your integrity. Who are you as a person? So let's say I'm the airman in that situation. I've made a commitment to the Air Force. I made a commitment to myself to be at my work center on time. Again, this is a really minor issue. Mm-hmm. It can be easily resolved. But it goes to an integrity issue. And it might mean getting up much earlier or a little earlier or, or being very focused in the morning. But the first piece is integrity. And that's just being honesty, just having honesty. Um, the second piece of this is intent. It's what's your motive? What's the agenda? So let's say, we're, wh- how do I want to interact with a supervisor? Let's change the game. I have a different issue with my supervisor. What's my intent in the conversation? What do I want? What am I trying to get from my career? Are you trying to come at it negatively or positively? Do you want a resolution that will help your organization or is a a win-lose, a win-win, what kind of resolution do you want? I like that because it speaks to the orientation with which you approach um, a potential potential conflict. If you're coming at it as, I need to attack this this person and set them straight, then you may not get much change out of it. But if you come at it from the perspective or the attitude of, I want to help this person grow, I want to um, give them ways to correct the the error, whatever it is, uh, in a constructive way, then you're going to find a much better response and probably going to evoke the kind of change that you're looking for in the first place. Well, in a few podcasts ago with Master Sergeant Booker, he Mm -hmm. referenced how when he was an MTI, correcting someone who had trouble with having their clothes cleaned. Mm -hmm. And after a while, he realized the person 
after investigating, just didn't know how to do laundry based on their upbringing. Right. There was a knowledge gap there. Correct. And so working on it. But the issue with how we approach as intent, whether a supervisor or as an airman, is it, it's a really a core character issue. Am I trying to do this from a place of negativity or positivity? Because we can hit the same situation from two different lenses and one will just get you more angry and mm-hmm. probably perform an amygdala hijack, uh, get you really <laughs> upset. Um, or another way is trying to find some kind of mutual resolution. You might be upset, you might be frustrated, but it, if you approach it from saying, we want to find a real positive resolution that can help everyone, that's really your core character. And that's a place of integrity and that's a great intent. I, I think that's a, a great uh, summation of what it means to be a supervisor. And, and honestly, I don't really like the word supervisor, supervision, supervisory, because it denotes um, that you, you have like a manager, somebody who's trying to control what you do and how you do it, and who's constantly QCing uh, all your, your uh, work products. But really, it should be a mentor. You, know, you are mentoring, you're teaching, you're leading other people. And whether you like it or not, just by virtue of where you are in the organization, your rank, your job title... Uh, you may be a supervisor, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are well prepared for it. But if you find yourself in that role, you have to embrace uh, this new responsibility you have as a mentor. And sometimes that means teaching and uh, facilitating rather than correcting. Yeah, I agree. And it's also not just a mentor, but a coach. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to teach somebody, you have to push them along to go, but the mentor is so key because it's a gentle way to help people learn what they need to learn to get to where they need to be. And that's what we all need because whenever you come into a new organization or you're doing a, a new job, um, there's going to be some struggle. And you think about uh, people's range of competency, right? Uh, we all have the certain cap at where you know the, the task or the demands in front of us exceed our capabilities. And it's up to the people who are supposed to be mentoring us to help push that to the right as, as far as possible. And that's going to involve varying levels of uh, supervision, of correct of teaching to help people find that competency and whatever it is that they're doing and then eventually move it to where they're um, self-capable. Well, and one of the things that uh, Covey goes on to say in this book is the next phase, which is this idea of competence. The first piece is capabilities. Sometimes if you're a first-time leader, first-time supervisor, manager, you might expect that this young individual in your office has all that same knowledge, training, skills, and abilities you have. We come into assumptions like this in relationships too. We True. think, well, of course, my spouse, my uh, my significant other, they have the same background I do. They are just as, at the same point of growth and knowledge. And generally, it's not true. We're different. We're all different people. We have great diversity. But we have to recognize when that person comes in the office, that airman, and they, they, need to, they might need some mentoring in areas that you think are just obvious. Everyone should know. And honestly, sometimes we're embarrassed to ask. Mm-hmm. So we talked about this earlier, that it's important to bring up your lack of competence. So if you don't know something... Tell them. I remember one time I was in a staff meeting and I was working at a different job I was in, in my, as an analyst. And I'm in this big meeting and I'm in charge of a bunch of things. And they're using an acronym. I had no idea what this acronym meant. I had no clue. But I knew I probably should. So I raised my hand in this room of people who are fairly senior and said, I, I don't know what the acronym is. And the person leading the presentation starts saying, well, Jim, you should know who this is. You should know this acronym. And I just looked at him, smiled and said, I'm, I'm sorry, Chad, I, I don't know what that acronym is. And he goes, well, I, actually, I, I don't know <laughs> what it is. And then he looked at someone next to me. He's like, I don't know what it is. And, went around, and all and around the table, we're nobody really. <laughs> and so, and it's pretty funny, this big room. And, and it was just something that sometimes we need to just bring it up because you might not be the first person who doesn't know. And then also on the other end, how he responded, 
might not have been the best, but if someone asks you a question that seems really obvious, just respond with the answer. Even if you should know, say, okay, well, this is it and where it should come from and help them understand. Because one, it could just be it escaped them for a moment. They may know and just mm-hmm. need help. Or two, they might need some coaching in an area that you didn't think they needed. And that's great information and intel as a supervisor. What you don't want to do as a supervisor, and then I'll go to the airman, <laughs> is to shut them down like that. Because if they do, they will not ask a question and it could cause a critical error or as an airman, right. not ask the question and then cause a critical error. Like, ask the question. Like, we all have been there. Absolutely. And, and even if you feel like you're you know, 60% sure of what the answer is, it can never hurt to ask that critical question because you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you made an assumption and that's caused a series of, of errors down the road. Uh, and we see this all the time. Um, I think there's a, a misconception with uh, our first-term airmen, you know, the guys who go through the training pipeline, they're straight out of tech school, they get to their first unit, and and um, there, there's, I've seen this, I'm not saying I believe it, but there's the assumption that, well, these guys don't know anything. They got the theoretical knowledge, the fresh out training. Now we got to, you know, retrain them on the job, everything. And that may be true for a handful of airmen. Uh, but where I also see this, which can be more de- detrimental, is folks who PCS in from another unit. Maybe they were doing a different job or maybe they, uh, you know, some other skills have gotten rusty um, in, in the passing of time. But because of where they are in their career, uh, they feel like they're established enough to where they should know this stuff, um, and they're afraid to ask those questions. Yeah, and you just you never get to that point. Right, you just never do. And uh, I mean, I'll tell you, just from my faith background, we have a lot of data to know. I mean, not just people would say, "Well, it's just the Bible." It's like, well, there's a lot around it. Commentaries. There's the original languages. I don't know everything, <laughs> but I know who to ask or where to look up. And sure, do I study regularly? But sometimes you just need to ask the question and ask for help. And that's more important, having those resources on which you can rely, uh, the people who you can go to and and ask those questions. That's more important, I think, uh, sometimes than actually having the knowledge in and of yourself. Well, and the last point they give here, and this is in Covey's other books, is with the uh, beginning with the end in mind. They use the word results. So the four were to review were integrity, intent, capabilities, and results. But results are key. What do you want out of the interaction? What do you want? Do you want to just correct them and maybe uh, raise, uh, you know, volume goes up or get paperwork. What are the results? The results aren't paperwork. The results aren't just the correction. The results are fully functioning airmen in our Air Force doing Mm -hmm. a job well. Well, and we need to think of what the results are as in that leadership role, but also as the airman. Mm-hmm. What is what are the results I want from uh, my supervisor? What's my goal when I go into this? And if you have that forward thinking mentality, as we all should, as we've talked about yeah. probably ad nauseum <laughs> for you guys uh, to this point, we should all be thinking about what's that next step? Uh, where do I want to be? six months, a year down the road, and what's it going to take for me to get there? As a supervisor, you should be thinking about your airmen in that way. Where are they now? Where do I want them to be? And and what do I need to do in order to help them get to that point? Absolutely. And the thing I'd emphasize in results too is let's say you've had issues in the past that could have gotten conflict, raised voices or paperwork. You can always recover. You really can from 99.9% of things probably. And if you go back in and let's say you're that airman that has issues and has had some challenges, go to your supervisor and say, look, these are this is what I want. I want to do well. I want to recover from this. I can give laundry lists of examples of airmen who've mm-hmm. done that and have been extremely successful in their careers. If you the opposite of choice, which would be negative, saying, Well, I you know, they were after me, they did this, that victim mentality. Well, what I'm gonna suggest is if you're out there, you're listening and maybe you're looking for a way to improve, talk to your supervisor, talk mm-hmm. to your leadership, ask for mentorship. 
work with people, find a mentor. It is not hard to find a mentor in the Air Force. Just go ask someone. If it's not your supervisor, find another NCO, find another officer. Someone will mentor you and find that to help you get the results you want. And those candid com- conversations are critical. Um, I, I had a uh, recently I had a supervisor who asked me, what, what are your goals? What do you want to do? And then what can I do? to help you uh, pursue those goals and achieve those goals. And that, to me, spoke to um, uh, this individual who was a commander who genuinely cared um, about me, about what I wanted to achieve, and was willing to to invest in me to help me get there. And if we can uh, approach that in a supervisory-supervisee relationship, then uh, I I think that's going to help parlay a lot of these potential conflicts down the road. And it also suggests even if you, and I think it's so good, like having someone who might be even outside of your chain or near your chain, mm-hmm. that you could run an idea by. Because we all get ideas. I remember when um, my last organization I was in, not in the Air Force, I was out and I had a mentor who was a, um, a 15 level. And I went to him and said, hey, um, this is the conflict that I'm right. I am right in the situation. Here's my argument. He's listening and real closely. And he goes, well, actually, Jim, I I think you're wrong in this situation. Hmm. And he could see from that perspective of the other individual very clearly a few years ago. And it was it was a hard pill to swallow because I thought I was right in that situation. And what I realized is like I'm I'm I am wrong. And sometimes if we just go with peers, mm-hmm. they will just support you. And oh, just sure. say, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're wrong, or the whatever. They will just kinda emphasize what you have. You need someone that's a truth teller, either a peer or someone above you that can mentor you to get through some of the issues. Because we will all have challenges in our workplace. We will always have at some point in your career you'll have a supervisor you'll have a challenge with. As a supervisor, at some point in your career you'll have an airman <laughs> you have a challenge with. Not being a pessimist, it's just a reality. Right. So what can we do to find someone to help you work through that and challenge? And of course we're always there too. We do a consulting role and and, uh, an advising leadership role between the two of us, we can always help you too, whether you're you're a brand new airman or you're senior NCO or officer, whatever, we're here for you. Absolutely. And and you bring up a good point. I mean, sometimes uh, it is an airman issue. Sometimes it's a supervisor issue. And if you find yourself being the one who has an issue with one of those supervisors, um, maybe you're getting into some recurrent heated conflict or you just feel like they're walking around angry at you all the time. There's a handful of things that that you can do to not only deescalate that conflict, but uh, to create an atmosphere to where it becomes less of a recurrent issue in the past or in the future. The first thing I would say first and foremost is to try to keep your cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked about this in my SG weekly from uh, 10 July, the, the week of 10 July. Um, this is the hardest thing for a lot of people because when other folks get up in our face and we feel like they're making personal attacks, it puts us on the defensive. And then in that perspective, we're only trying to defend our actions or to come up with rationales that, that maybe can convince the other person that no, in fact, you know, we weren't in the wrong and maybe they're in the wrong. Yep. Um, and uh, unfortunately, what this does is creates this compounding, escalating conflict where we're just piling on top of each other. And they return our uh, defensive volley with a, another of their own and it just feeds into itself. And we don't get anything accomplished because now we're all spun up. We both walk away angry. And what may have been a relatively minor issue has now been blown out of proportion. So the first thing I say is if you feel like you're getting some heat, try to keep yourself calm. And this takes a lot of self-control, but remind yourself that you're not, not going to let the other person's uh, anger infuse into you. 
Um, you're going to you know, keep a calm demeanor, control your rate of speech, your tone of voice, think before you speak, and try to be uh, speak very calmly, slowly, and concisely. And this can be difficult. Uh, I think, especially for me, uh, road rage would be the, <laughs> the most difficult uh, situation. Not in because <laughs> Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Just kidding. Because people uh, do things, uh, and, and it makes you angry, and you want to retaliate. Um, and you have to keep a control of yourself and maybe just say, all right, I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to let them feed into to my well-being or let them ruin my day. The next step I would say is to listen to what the other person's saying. And this can be difficult too, because again, you feel like they're levying some personal attacks. Um, they're criticizing you and perhaps unfairly, but a lot of times what those folks want to know is that they're being heard and understood. In fact, a lot of miscommunication happens this way because both people are desperately trying to have their own voice heard, but they're not listening to the other person. So instead of immediately jumping to defend yourself, try to restate what the other person is saying. Find a way to summarize it um, to where you're reflecting, just like we talked about in the previous podcast, their point of view. And once they feel like they're understood, maybe they can expound on it. And then ultimately you want to focus into the concrete, the concrete feedback. What is it that you want me to do differently? You know, rather than focus on, um, you know, something that happened that you're unhappy about, what do you want me to change and how do you want me to, to manage this going forward? Because that's ultimately what resolves the conflict. And if you can refocus the conversation into that problem solving uh, orientation, you're going to get a, a much better, more effective outcome. Uh, one thing that uh, we didn't talk about today that maybe a handful of you, you guys are thinking about um, when we talk about the words conflict resolution is the I feel statements. Okay. Um, I'm sure y'all, y'all have heard uh, examples of these before the, you know, I feel blank because, or when you do blank. Um, I would say those are not necessarily going to de-escalate a conflict because they only work when the other person is of the same mindset. And it takes both of you coming together collaboratively to talk about your thoughts, your feelings, and, and things like that uh, at the same time and, and using those I feel statements. If only one of you does them, it's not really going to work as well. So rather than doing that, um, I'd say flip it around to to reflect or make it a reflection for the other person to say, it sounds like you're you're feeling blank uh, because I did or because the situation, however it occurred, because now you're, you're allowing that other person to feel understood and you're, you're allowing yourself to empathize with them. And that ultimately is going to be more effective when you're trying to deescalate that conflict um, versus when you're both coming at it collaboratively. And that's, that's really one of the big takeaways is try to make it a joint effort uh, rather than an I versus, you know, you or, uh, you know, whatever kind of orientation, let's, you know, go into it with this we uh, perspective. How can we resolve this? How can we make this better for the future? I think that's going to ultimately help you find a better outcome. That's awesome. I, I think that's great. So we'll we'll end with that. These are some great points. We gave you a lot of data today. Obviously, this is a part two. We may even do a part three eventually <laughs> because this is a real deep issue. Communication is just part of everything. So um, as we go, we want to say thank you for what you do. Thank you for your service. We're excited to be part of this now um, new wing. We have a new wing commander. We have a lot of new changes coming. So we're looking forward to working with you guys in the next couple of years. And if you have any questions or concerns, email us. Um, And finally, we just want to say thank you for what you do. We know there's a lot coming at you. You know it's summer, it's busy, but we want to let you know we're here to support you. So if you need anything at all, reach out to us, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. Have a great Air Force Day. Bye. Thank you.